Well, good morning again. Are we joyful this morning? Are we ecstatic? <laughs> I am too. Well, good morning. If you don't know me, I'm Pastor Mark. I think, we don't, I think everybody knows me here. Um, we're going to be exploring the book of James together for a while. Um, looking forward to going through this book with you. We're going to be in the first chapter this morning, but before I start, I had this huge spiel of what I was going to say, but I'm going to narrow it down. Um, you know, it's the summer break. It's the time for vacations, right? Um, and I'm going to share this, like, this other part with you another time, but in vacation time, we all decide on a destination, and when we have chosen that destination, we do all the research we can to find out well, what's this place offer? What, what, are, what are the must-sees? You know, where are the gas stations located? Where are the best restaurants? We research the destination where we're going to vacation, right? Because why? We want to get the most enjoyment out of it. We want to have the benefit of knowing once we get there where to go and what to see. And approaching a Bible book is the same. Preparing for a trip, right? Where you are going, what you will see. See, when you study the place you're going, again, you learn about it, you learn what it's offering, and it makes it all the more enjoyable. I love when I plan a trip and I look at pictures ahead of time, like Reedsville, before we ever came here, we kind of had the downtown memorized from pictures. And then when we got here, it was like, oh cool, I remember that, I remember this, you know? And it was, it was a lot of fun, it makes the visit more enjoyable. And approaching a book of the Bible should be no different. We should know who it is that's talking to us. Who was the original audience? What was the message? Or is there a theme? Is there a major theme? Are there many themes? Where does he want to go with this message? And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to dive straight in. If you're in James chapter 1, we're going to read the first 11 verses. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Well, let's start with verse 1 and 2 here. Since we're going to be exploring this book, let's get a really good introduction to it. The author of this book, there were many potential authors named James. I call them the Jameses. There were many Jameses looked at as the author of this book. But when you start getting rid of those because of death dates, especially martyrdom, 
or if you look at the obscurity of the person's life, you begin to see that the pieces do not fit. However, in James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, the pieces fit. The pieces fit. Scholars since the beginning of the early church to this present day believe that this is the half-brother of Jesus. Now, we have to understand something about James, though. James had a great misunderstanding about his half-brother. You've got to remember, he was a product of Joseph and Mary, right? Where Jesus was a product of the Holy Spirit and Mary. He had a great misunderstanding of who this man was. So he did not believe in him until after the resurrection. After the resurrection. But we have to come to the grips with something. He obviously listened to Jesus because James alludes to many, many of Jesus' teachings within this book. So obviously he was listening. But one of my favorite things about the half-brother of Jesus is right here in the first verse. It says, James, a servant. James did not use his relationship to Jesus, signifying that he, too, was submitting to Jesus as sovereign Lord. And I like that. It makes me trust this book all the more that James realizes, too, that it's not about relationship it's with, as, to Jesus. It's, I'm a servant of the sovereign Lord. So I like that. So we got James as the author, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, he talks about this dispersion to the 12 tribes. Let's go ahead and knock this out of the park real quick. This is a general letter. This is not a letter to a specific person or town or city, or a specific church, like the Pauline epistles, like Paul's letters. It's not a specific, it's what we call a general letter. But it was addressed to the Jews, the 12 tribes, the dispersion. Meaning, this is to Jewish Christians living outside the area of Palestine. Okay? Last week, Pastor uh, Allen alluded to this. Remember he told you that the northern territory called Israel was conquered and exiled by the Assyrians. And then he said the southern part, Judah, was also conquered and exiled by the Babylonians. There was a great dispersion. And this is what James is referring to. Okay? By the way, those two exiles, they are evidence of the spiritual decline of the nation. The scattering of God's covenant people outside of the promised land, right? It came as divine judgment. We have to remember that. But what James is doing, he is relating this dispersion to the difficult times going on in Jerusalem. It was a time of transition, okay? It was a time where these new Jewish Christians were still living under the shadow of the law. They hadn't really truly realized the full gospel of God's grace. They were believers, and they wanted to follow, and they listened to the teachings of these great early church leaders, but they were still living in a little bit under the shadow of that law. And what happened was, <clears throat> in Jerusalem, they began to face persecution. And it was from the Jewish leaders. Now, understand this. These Jewish Christians were rejected by Gentiles, but on the other side, they were also rejected by their own countrymen. They had to flee. It was persecution. So, we have evidence of this. We have evidence of this persecution, which is the reason they began to scatter, because this is important. This is James' audience. This is who he's talking to. Um, in the first four verses of Acts, chapter 8, 
Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, it reads this. And Saul, you understand who Saul is. Saul will become Paul once Jesus gets his hands on him. Right now, Saul is wreaking havoc on the Christians. And this particular event, just real quick, is the first martyrdom, Christian martyrdom. This is the death of Stephen. So, and Saul approved of his execution, talking about Stephen, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering the house, uh, excuse me, entering house after house, he dragged off men and he dragged off women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now that is interesting. See, this scattering, you've got to remember the sovereignty of our God here. This scattering was really God sowing seed. So James is going to address this scattered seed, both the poor and the rich. And he's, he, he's, he's addressing them in light of the testing of their faith. But James also reminds us that we too are a part of this dispersion. If we look back to that dispersion to today, we're all a part of this great dispersion. And you know what ours is? You know, just as these Jewish Christians were awaiting Christ's return, so are we. So we too are dispersed in a fallen world, in a rebellious world. There's Christians all over this globe. We are scattered seed. But make no mistake, folks, we are not home. The Bible tells us that we are strangers it tells us that we are aliens. This is not our home. So we look to the promises of God, the new heaven and the new earth. This will be our home. This is what it's like to be with God. And that's what James is addressing today with his dispersion. See, every New Testament letter has its own special purpose, its own special destination and theme or themes. It does. Every New Testament letter has this. As we explore this letter by James, the problem that the Jewish Christians were facing will bring to light the very same problems that the local church faces today, including Grace Fellowship. See, for instance, a major, major theme here. This is a common cause to all the problems that we're going to find. A common cause that we're going to find here is spiritual immaturity. The greatest need right now in our church today, the greatest need in our church is spiritual maturity. You can visually see growth physically, can't you? We can look back to our baby pictures to present day. We've grown taller. We've grown larger. We have evidence of that. But can you see your spiritual growth? And you really need to reach in deep inside and evaluate yourself because we are are to experience spiritual growth just as we experience the physical. So speaking of the spiritual maturity, speaking of this growth that we're to receive, the book of James reminds us that as Christians, we are to have a divine perspective in facing our trials. This is what I call wisdom's perspective. That's the title of this message. When I say wisdom's perspective, I'm talking about God's wisdom for us. The wisdom he generously gives to us, and I'm going to explain everything there is about wisdom. 
But we have to understand wisdom's perspective is the what he wants us to have in view as we face trials and testings. And this is the focus of today's message. So there's the book of James for you, folks. Starting in verse 2 through 5, we have some very important information. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. It's really important that I reread that. Very important. I'm going to tell you something. We are going to face trials. It's not an if, folks, it's a when we will absolutely face trials from the outside coming at us. And the other problem is, we're gonna face temptations from the inside. You know what it's like? It's like we are always in the midst of combat. It's coming every which way. Being a Christian does not exclude you from the testings of faith and trials. No, we are in the midst of combat. Just like those Jewish Christian in James' time, having issues and troubles and being rejected by Gentiles on the one side and their fellow Jews on the other, we, are fighting Satan on the one side and the world on the other. But, and I say these things with a question mark. You ready for this? I hope you're with me on this. So God, you're telling me that we are to count these things as joy? Question mark. I mean, we are to see the victory as we feel we are being defeated? We're to see the triumph during the trial? Man. I don't like that. Isaiah 48.10 says this, though. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. See, this is where we need wisdom's perspective, God's view. When James talks about counting it all joy, right, for which most of us are like, man, what are you talking about, James? You want me to count this mess I'm in as joy? Well, let's explain and really truly understand what he's saying. When he says count, folks, this is the evaluation. This is the evaluation of the trials we face in light of what God is doing, in light of what God is working in your life. As we face this, we have to remember how God is working. This is what he's talking about when he uses the word count. It is a financial term, but here it is the evaluation of what we're facing and what God is doing. See, his work in our lives, it's it's important to remember this, folks. It's not the trial or the various testings that we are joyful over. Make no mistake, you don't have to be good. I'm so glad I'm going through all this pain. I'm joyful. It's not the trial or the testing you're joyful over. It's the result of these testings. It's the result of these trials that we are joyful over because it is the result of these things that is the growth that we undergo. We undergo growth in spiritual maturity. And folks, this has nothing to do with age. Age does not equal spiritual maturity. You can have someone that's gone to church for 80 years and never applied any knowledge never exercised any wisdom, never taken that first step in action for God. It has nothing to do with age and everything with heart, okay? So I don't want a new Christian to think, wow, I got years before I got to worry about this. Absolutely not. This is right now. This is here and now, okay? So this is the result of the victory we find in these trials. 
No, nobody wants to go through trials. I've talked to a lot of y'all. Y'all talk to me. Nobody wants to face hardships. You know, Pastor Mark, I'm really looking forward to the next trial. I'm looking forward to growing. I hope it's a doozy. Right? No, we don't do that, do we? No. But, but James says something very interesting. And I love this word now. He says, guess what? Because of this, you're going to produce steadfastness. To be steadfast. I really like that word. This is resolutely firm. Resolutely grounded. Right? You're unwavering. You're unwavering in your endurance. You're unwavering in your perseverance. You are standing strong and you're immovable because of God. It produces steadfastness. So James tells us that this steadfastness needs to take its full effect. It needs to take its full effect, and that is perfection, completeness, completeness, and lacking in nothing. Make no mistake, though, guys. Perfection, not perfect. We're not talking about perfect in the sense of being sinless like Jesus. It's impossible. We won't know what that's like until Christ returns and we are made brand new. Right now, we are sinless, so we are not perfect. What James is saying is, you are being perfected. You are being matured. And this is the work of God. So when he talks about perfection and completeness, lacking in nothing, we have to remember this is God's work. This isn't something we manufacture or create. And you know what, though? We know our perfection is coming, don't we? Our completeness in Christ is coming because of his perfect work. What Christ did is the reason that we will be fully completed. We will feel and know it'll be a truth for us as when Christ is revealed what that actually looks like. But that's down the road. That's our future inheritance. We'll see that as revealing, but James is not talking about that. James is talking about maturing right now. James has been talking about the growth in your life right now. This is Christians moving from, uh, excuse me, two solid, solid spiritual food and getting away from the milk. This is where we gotta grow up in Christ. Because I'm gonna tell you something right now. We cannot see the joy in these trials with our own perspective. We cannot see the joy in trials with our own perspective, like James is asking us to do. We need a different vantage point. We need to see it from a different direction, a different angle, and different eyes. So when we do that, with all together, we think about Christ, right? And looking through those lens, that lens he has for us. Together, it's sufficiently, we're sufficiently be able to face, right? Not only sufficiently, but I mean all in all, we're able to face uh, the various trials that are experienced in this life because his grace and mercy is absolutely sufficient. He has saved us. He, what he gives us, it's completely sufficient. So we cannot see the joy in the trials with our eyes. We have to look through a different lens. And again, a different vantage point altogether with Christ is sufficient for us to see that. Let's face facts, though. Let's go back to our wisdom. We think we're so great with our wisdom, don't we? At least the world does. Let's face facts here. Our wisdom as a human being is not only limited, but a human being is most likely to choose comfort over the practice of a trial-based character building. You mean I gotta go through that to get there? I'll have a seat. That is what I'm talking about. We choose comfort. And humans tend to choose the material. We tend to choose the physical comforts over the building of a spiritual life because the building of a spiritual life is tough. 
It's interesting when new Christians come into the fold because some are misdirected. They think, well, (laughs) this life's going to be awesome now. I don't have to pay bills anymore. I'm going to get a raise. All my friends are going to love me more. The birds are going to land on my shoulder and sing. They don't understand what it is to truly be a follower of Christ. And that's why James is, is allowing us in this very first chapter of the book to say, hey, guess what? You're going to face trials, but you need to count every single one of them as joy. So from this perspective, from our perspective, a human's perspective, there is no way for us to count it all joy. And this is why James, people don't get it, this is why James jumps immediately to wisdom. Did you see that? In verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he just jumps to wisdom. There's a point here. Because only from wisdom's perspective, that is God's perspective, can we count it all joy when our faith is put to the test through the various trials. But you know what's interesting? When when we actually embrace this, this perspective, we come to understand that the testing of our faith is actually for us. It's not to work against us. A lot of Christians believe, wow, I'm being knocked down. God's not for me at all. Absolutely not. God is for us. He's not against us. And when you're facing these trials, they're not against you either. So with this perspective, we need to come to realize that God is working for us. But what is this wisdom? What is this wisdom that we so desperately need? Well, here it is. This is the easiest (laughs) definition, and I love it. Wisdom is the correct use of, of knowledge. It's the proper use of knowledge. It's the right use of knowledge. Wisdom helps us understand how to use the knowledge we possess. And folks, I'm willing to believe if you've been a part of this church, sermons on Sunday, life groups, Sunday school, whatever part, you're getting fed God's Word, your own time at home with God. You're getting fed God's Word. You're learning and you're learning, but my goodness, what are you doing with that learning? You know, I've often referred to career students, and I'm going to do it again. I'm related to a couple of them. You can have a student go to school and learn skill set after skill set after skill set, degree after degree after degree. They can learn everything and say, listen, (laughs) I have all the knowledge. But if they have not applied that knowledge, it's worthless. They never got their hands dirty. There was never hands-on. There was no experience Having knowledge is wonderful, but what are you doing with it? Guess what? I have the knowledge that this fire is hot, but do I have the wisdom to not put my hand in it? You get my point? This is the problem with career students. You can have someone that possesses all the knowledge, but if they do not apply the knowledge to their lives, they are not exercising wisdom. And unfortunately, that is running rampant in the Christian church today. Oh, teach me more. I want to learn more. I just want to grow before I ever have. I don't want to introduce God yet. I want to grow some more. I want to learn some more. Well, God's saying, listen, I've given you the knowledge. Apply it. That is God's wisdom. He gives it to us through, through the people we love, through other Christians, right? He gives it through, to us through services like this, through our life groups. It's important that we remember what we learn is for a specific purpose, purpose just like these letters. James' letter is for a specific purpose. We have got to remember that. And you know, we need to be lovers of wisdom. We do. Uh, The book of Proverbs is evidence. 
It's evidence of that Jewish people were lovers of wisdom. And it's a wonderful book. It's a wonderful book. But I gotta ask you something. I hope you're like me when I say this. When I'm in a trial, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be, I gotta be straight with you here. I'm, I'm begging God for grace. I'm begging God for grace. I'm begging God for strength. God, give me strength. Or, and this is, and I'm gonna tell you, here's my first thing. God, just deliver me out of this. Do I gotta go through this? Just deliver me, right? Do you ever pray for deliverance? Strength in God's grace through, through a hard time? It begs the question, though, does God really want to deliver us completely? Because the point, the whole point of the testing of faith and the trials that James is speaking of is the refinement of our faith. It's the refinement of our character. The process of this refinement, just like some precious metal, it involves the divine formation of our character that brings us to experience growth in our spiritual lives. I hate to tell you that this is how it works, Christians, but it does. God uses the testing of your faith and the trials that we faith to shape and refine your faith, refine your character. Guess what? You are being prepared for something awesome. You are being formed and shaped and prepared for something awesome. So he wants our character to be to go through this experience so it can be refined. But folks, in order to grow from this, we have got to have the wisdom to see, to understand, and know that we are being matured, that we are being matured through these times of trial and testing. And as James tells us, God graciously and generously gives to those who ask. This is without reproach, folks. That means, listen, I'm, there's no blame. There's no fault finding in this. This is given to you from God, just ask. Now, while this wisdom is given generously, I'm gonna tell you now there is a qualification. A qualification that needs to be met when asking God for it, and that is faith. He wants you to ask for his wisdom and faith. I love this. James gives us a wonderful example of what this looks like when you don't ask in faith, okay? Uh, it's a person who is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. A lot of you, in fact, if I look around, most of you probably, are going to vacation at the beach this summer. Am I right? Of course I'm right. You're going to vacation at the beach, and there's going to be waves at that beach. And if you're watching the wave, you're going to see it being driven in and tossed right back. Back and forth. It's like being at Wimbledon, right? So what's happening here is there's absolutely no stability within this wave. That's why they call it wavering, right? So it's wavering back and forth, driven and tossed. James is using this to show the instability of a person who asks for this without faith. And then another story, one I really like, is Peter. Peter's in a boat with some of the disciples. Jesus is walking on water. Now this story comes from Matthew 14. Okay, but he's walking on water, and Peter's like, hey man, command me, Jesus. I want to I do this. I want to walk. Command me to come out there. Jesus is like, come on. Peter's locked on Jesus. He gets out, and he starts walking on the water. But then I pick up at verse 30, Matthew 14, verses 30 and 31. It says this, but when he saw the wind, we'll come back to that, he was afraid. 
At the beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? We can't see wind. What Peter's saying is here, I saw the evidence of this wind. The waters were chaotic. The waves were coming. He took, if he's looking at the wind, guess who he's not looking at? He took his eyes off Jesus. So we have a picture of what it looks like to ask God for something without faith, that wave. We have a look like what it looks like to ask God for something when we doubt, when we take our eyes off him. And this is a reality for our church, folks, the general church, the local church. This is a reality. This is happening to Christians everywhere. To ask God in any other way, leaving faith out of the equation, well, that person should not suppose that they will receive anything from the Lord. That is in Scripture. What does James call them? James calls them a double-minded and unstable person. Jesus tells us, and you know this is true, Jesus tells us that we cannot serve two masters. You guys know that, right? Jesus says we can't do that. So what's going on with this double-minded person? It seems like they have, obviously, there's an inner conflict. There's an inner conflict that's causing this person to not fully trust or fully lean on God. Instead, they're placing that trust elsewhere. I do believe in Jesus, so this foot's going to be in this camp, but I'm not fully relying on him, so I'm going to place this foot over in this camp. Well, if you got one here, and you got one way over here, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that's the definition of being unstable, of being double-minded. And God's saying, and James in this book right now is saying, you cannot come to God and ask him for his wisdom with faith like that. Nope can't do it. So this person, just like a wave of the sea, is unstable in all they do. We must believe that our God has our best interest at heart and that he will work in all things for the good of those who love him. Ask in faith for the wisdom that God is offering you, church. Ephesians 1.17, Ephesians 1.17 says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Folks, you cannot fake this. Let's get real with each other. You can't fake this. You cannot create some sort of manufactured faith all on your own that makes you feel like, that was pretty good. I think God's going to answer me. It can't. You can't do that. We approach God as Christians knowing his goodness, all right, knowing his faithfulness, knowing that our relationship is secured through Christ. We don't come to him wavering with a manufactured faith thinking God will answer. Uh, this, is my, this is one of my biggest points right here. This is one of my biggest points. And not only has this happened in the world, this is happening in the local church. We do not and cannot live as so many do, and that's independently of God. We cannot live independently of God because then when devastation strikes, we create, this again, this manufactured, unbelieving plea is offered up to him when devastation strikes, but not before. See, the double-minded the unstable, will live without God until they find that they need him. But God, my brothers and sisters, is not an accessory. God is not an added ingredient that you pull off the shelf when you need him. No, God is to be first in everything. 
Let me just go off for a second on newscasters. Bear with me. I don't watch the news much anymore, but when I did watch the news, when there's a tragic event that affects maybe a person or a group or a nation, right? When there's this tragic event, they usually interview people to build the sensationalism of this, this article or this, this uh, newscast, uh, right? And what kills me at the end is when these newscasters say, well, our thoughts and our prayers are with you. And I've actually heard them say, you know, our thoughts are with you. You can keep your thoughts. What are your thoughts going to do? If devastation struck you, would you want me to come to you and say, well, I'm really thinking about you. That stinks. But my thoughts are with you. Or do you want me to say, listen, I'm praying to my God for your help. See, Christ praying to our Lord and Savior, our sovereign God, is always an afterthought with the world. Mr. and Mrs. Newscaster always want to plug God in afterwards. Oh my goodness, we're gonna, now it's time to pray. Well, news, why don't you show good things and say, well, let's praise God for this, and let's praise God for that. No, we always wait for devastation to strike, and then we say, oh, where's God at? We've got to get him out here. I need God now. That's what the news is like. Mr. and Mrs. Newscaster got it all wrong. We can't live like that, and so many Christians are. They pull God out when they need him. He is not first in everything. That is the double-minded. That is the unstable. We have got to guard ourselves. I love where James goes next. He says, just as the poor will have to rely on God throughout all the trials and testing of their faith, right? You know that poverty brings trials, don't you? Think of the umbrella of poverty, affording groceries, not being able to take a kid to the doctor because you don't have a car or you can't afford insurance. Think of the trials that poverty brings. And they're endless, it's true. But you know what? The rich too, folks, the rich too are gonna face various kinds of trials. Wisdom's perspective is needed for the rich to navigate these dangerous waters. Do you know why? Because the rich can become very self-reliant. Where the impoverished are reaching out to God because that's all they got, the rich can say, well, I could reach out to God, but I've also got this money, and this kind of helps. Cushions the blow. See, when they become self-reliant, they're placing money over God. So don't ever think that it's great to be rich. I know on paper it looks like it, but it's not what it's cracked up to be because they place their faith and their money over God. The comfort of money, folks, cannot replace the maturing process of testing and trial. And I love this. You ready? The lowly brother, the lowly brother should boast in his exaltation. He should boast in what God is providing and doing. And then what does it say? It says we, because uh, the rich, the rich should be boasting their humiliation. It's like we got balance. Because both, whether poverty or rich, right, should be boasting in what Christ is doing, what he is offering to them during their trials because both the poor and the rich will face the testing of their faith and trials of this world. We will all undergo this, folks. Just as poverty brings trials, wealth does the same. Both need to live in light of eternity. Both need to look at these opportunities of growth with a divine perspective. The question is today is how are you facing these things? I understand that the world we live in brings different things to our door. I understand that we're all facing various trials, whether it's medical, be financial, right, spiritual, emotional, 
I understand that the trials are various because the Bible explains that to me. I have the wisdom to apply this wonderful knowledge that you guys, and myself included, are all going through different things, but how are we facing this? Are you grounded, or are you unstable? Because I've seen both in this church. Ooh, Pastor Mark, don't call us out. Please don't call us out. I have seen people in this church that are living unstable lives, and I've seen people that are living grounded lives. The point of this whole sermon is for us all to be grounded, to live any other way. You're not gonna be able to respond to wisdom. You're not gonna be able to see things from God's perspective. You're gonna continue to choose your own wisdom and your own view. And James is warning us this with, for this in the very first chapter. Okay, so are you grounded or are you unstable? Christians, you know, we're gonna face difficulties. This is a fallen world. We're gonna face difficulties. But for the Christian, we can be reassured. We can be reassured in the actual knowledge that God is using these trials, right, to refine us, to refine our faith, to produce a steadfastness in us as we submit to God's sanctifying plan for each of us. Do you know how special you are? God has a plan for each and every person in here, a sanctifying plan that includes the testing of your faith and trials, but how are you going to look at them when these things hit you in the face? Is it going to be my eyes? Well, i got to use human wisdom here because this really stinks. Or are you going to use God's vantage point, his perspective, wisdom's perspective? See, we know that God works for us. We can see this in salvation God, you did nothing for salvation. That was God's work. We also see God working for us because he calls us to him. We see that. We also know something else, that he works in us. And this, this is where we find ourselves today. This is the focus today, him working in us. Because being matured, right, the understandable growth that a believer should be experiencing in their walk with God, why? Because we are his workmanship we should be experiencing within our walk this mature growth in our Christian lives because we are his workmanship. Allowing him to refine and prepare our character so that he can work through us. We know he works for us. He's working in us, but will you allow him to work through us? Because that's another whole point of this refinement is so that he can work through you. This is all part of God's plan, folks. And this is why James says we are to all count it as joy. But only with wisdom's perspective can we truly see this. First Peter, Peter says it too. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through, uh, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result, here's the result, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is wisdom's perspective. So here you and I are, faithful, loving Christians, we have to be grounded in our stance. Here comes the trial, here comes the testing. Are we gonna be unwavering? Or are we gonna to continue to move side to side with our foots in different camps till we try to figure this thing out? Or do we face it straight on realizing God is shaping me here? God is preparing me for something great. 
This is gonna be the refinement of my character. This is gonna build faith. It's gonna produce steadfastness in my life so when the next one comes, I'm even stronger. This is what the local church needs. This is spiritual maturity. But we cannot face these trials with human wisdom. Ladies and gentlemen, we have got to use wisdom's perspective. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you today, Lord, for this sermon, for your word. Lord, I just want to thank you for the music today, Lord, the prayers offered today. Father, uh, the, 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 the offering, Lord, of people giving back to you. I want to just praise your name for this whole service in its complete and whole part, Father. I just... I'm moved, Lord, by your spirit right now, Lord. I just right now want to pray for everyone. Father, I know right now that people are suffering. People are hurting. Whether it's something small or something large, Lord, people are afraid. People are scared. Father, this is a big deal. When we face these things, these are life-wrenching deals for us. Father God, right now, we need to be able to face these things through your eyes, Father, being able to see it as you do. Help us know, Father. Help us understand with the knowledge that you've given us. Let us apply it right now in wisdom to know that you are maturing each and every one of us. And it's for your purpose. It's for your sanctifying plan. Father, this is an amazing body of believers. But we all have to continue to grow spiritually mature. We don't stop growing. There's no age limit to this. There's no amount of study where we can say, yeah, I've read the Bible 10 times, it's, I've got it. No, this is an ongoing, lifelong process of spiritually being matured, being perfected, as James calls it, being complete, lacking in nothing. And Father, what we're asking for right now is the wisdom to understand and know that this is happening in our lives, and it's because of your purpose and plan for us. Help us see this, Lord. It's so hard to be tested. It is so hard to face a trial, Lord. We know they vary, but it's still really hard, and we got to have your wisdom in order to truly, to truly grow from it, Father, because we can't do it from our perspective. That's my prayer to the Lord for each and every person here as they leave today, Father, that they be thinking about you, the God who provides all, that you worked for us, that you're working in us, and that you want to work through us if we could truly embrace your wisdom. Let us all ask for your wisdom, God, in our lives. I pray for that right now, Lord Jesus. I pray for that for this church. In Jesus' name, amen.